1: Tommy's here, I am here, uh, from the son of DC80 on Apple Podcast Reviews. Kevin does a great job of breaking down all things Redskins slash Commanders. Him and Tom are genuinely funny, and when Kevin gets Tom worked up, it's a blast. It's also a great place to hear from Cooley, who is beloved by all Redskins fans that saw him play. If we all somehow get the blessing of the Snyders getting kicked out of the ownership I'm scared to think of what they will talk about if the organization gets remotely functional. Keep up the great work. Uh, thank you, son of DC80. Gave us five stars uh, for all of you uh, that haven't done it. If you could rate us and review us wherever you can do it, uh, especially on Apple, five stars uh, if you don't mind. And a quick uh, one to two sentence review is super helpful. Um, yeah, Cooley uh, was. Definitely a little bit battered uh, from the weekend when he joined me on the podcast yesterday, right before we went out and played golf in the rain. Um, And for those of you that tweeted how uh, we did, Cooley played well. I did not play uh, that well. And he did win yesterday in the match. I think I won on Thursday, uh, but we had a good time. Tommy is with me. He's written another column with Skipper Dan mentioned, Skipper Dan the Sailing Man, Everybody says to me, Tommy's nicknames are great. One person did say, though, he's got such good arguments, and sometimes Skipper Dan, as part of the story, takes away from Tommy's credibility. He's gone overboard. You seem to think that nicknames are very important when you're talking about people of very high standing, That when you're, when you're going after them with the written word or, or otherwise.
2: It's a device. One thing, it's a device that Jimmy Breslin used. Mm -hmm. So if it was good enough for Jimmy Breslin, it's good enough for me. Uh, And it is to stick a pin in certain people. Uh, Remember when I used to call Robert Griffin III Super Bob?
1: Yeah, Super Bob. You know? Yeah. And
2: people got upset with that as well. Uh, But if anyone needed a pin stuck in him, it was that guy.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That guy's pretty good on TV.
2: I know, but he's still, yeah, I know. he's still so impressed with himself. It's unbelievable. Uh, but, uh, so no, the nicknames are not going away. Uh, it does serve two purposes. It tends to deflate the importance of the people I'm writing about, especially someone who has told people he wants to be called Mr. Snyder. Right. You know, this guy, of all people, deserves a nickname. And the other part is I like using them. Yeah. And that's really the only important part.
1: Yeah. Now the the skipper Dan, the sailing man, is a more recent one. Did, I, I forget. Did you have one for Snyder before?
2: No, I did not. Okay. You know, some people had. You called him the belt buckle boy. Right. Uh. You know. Uh. I stayed away from that because it wasn't mine. Yeah. Uh. The and belt I never kid. called him anything. Yeah. I never called him anything until the yacht thing, and then uh, you know him sailing around on his yacht, avoiding the. Uh, the house uh subcommittee. Right. So I just picked hit on his on his yacht with his little captain's hat, you know, <laughs> directing all his crew. <laughs> and I said, This guy's Skipper Dan.
1: Yeah. He's down Skipper
2: there. Dan the sailing man.
1: Yeah, the actual captain of the ship said, Hey, you want to steer the ship? And he put him down there with the fake steering wheel and said, You just
3: <laughs> look straight
1: out, Dwight. Uh keep us on <laughs> keep us on the straight and narrow. Um well, we'll get to your column. I do want to get to your uh, your thoughts about the game on Sunday as well. I have additional thoughts on the game on Sunday. I know yesterday was a little bit, you know, uh, all over the place as a show. Uh, my apologies for that. Some of you seem to think it wasn't as organized as usual. No, it never is with Chris. Wow. Um, uh, but you know, uh, it, it, I, I, we've got all week. We've got uh, we're we're here all week, uh, kids. Um, but I wanted to start off by asking you the following. Because um, in a conversation this morning uh, with a friend of mine after the show, and we were talking about something totally, uh, totally not sports-related, he said, well, who, do, who does Washington play this weekend? And I said, they play Minnesota. And he goes, oh, oh, Kirk Cousins coming back so what are you going to (laughs) do? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to do? He said, well, legitimately, who are you going to root for in the game? Because I know you don't get upset when Washington loses anymore like you used to. And I said, I root for Cousins. I have rooted for Cousins. He's not the first former player of this team that I've rooted for. I remember very, very, Vividly rooting for a couple of people in particular. One was Mark Rippon when he left Washington. Another one was Gary Clark and Art Monk, but Gary Clark still had some life left in his career. Um, And I really rooted for Brian Mitchell. Now, I didn't root for Brian Mitchell when he faced Washington. I don't think I've ever told B. Mitch this before. You know, I, I really loved him as a player. I think Brian Mitchell, I know I've said this before, and I think I've probably talked to B. Mitch before about it. I think Brian was one of the best clutch players in the history of the organization. He, in every game that mattered, playoff games, big game at the end of the year, Brian made big play after big play, You know, whether it was on special teams, sometimes it was out of the backfield. Hell, in Richie Pettibone's first game as a head coach after Joe retired, Brian opened up that season on Monday Night Football in a m- big spot, okay, as Washington and Dallas, the pr- previous two Super Bowl champions, opened on Monday Night Football, and Washington rolled. The, the Redskins blew out the Cowboys. I think it was 35-16, to 16, and B-, Met- B. Mitch, I think, rushed for like 125 yards, and it was like, here we go. We just, we're just just picking up where we left off. And, of course, that season did not go well. But I really rooted for him in Philadelphia. In those playoff games, in those championship games, I wanted him to break a, a big one. Because I always remember saying to, to my buddies, man, that was a big whiff letting him go. He is big time. And you know what? In Philadelphia, he did the same thing in some of those playoff games. He had a massive kickoff return against Tampa. I think it was in the NFC championship game. So, long story short... Obviously I was a big Kirk Cousins fan. I've followed his career very much so in Minnesota and I've rooted for him. But like is the case with Art or with you know Gary Clark or with Rippin those were different circumstances because they weren't significant players for the organizations that they joined. Rippon started some games, but in the AFC with Cleveland and Indianapolis. B. Mitch, when he played for the Eagles against the Redskins, I was rooting for him to do well, but I was rooting for Washington to win the game. Um, I will tell you this. If they were 1-6 in or 1-7 or 2-6, yeah, I think I, I think I would have been rooting for Minnesota because I want Kirk to do really well in the postseason. So I would want them to continue the path towards, you know, a one or a two seed, you know, somewhere in that in that vein. But what's best for me, as Tommy always says, is to root for me. And for me, it's better if Washington can win a couple of these games coming up and we can get beyond Thanksgiving with a chance at the postseason. Now, that's not my question. That was more of a tangent to get to this question because my buddy asked me, what kind of Kirk segments will you do this week? And I said, I don't know. I, I, to be honest with you, I haven't really thought of it. But then I thought of one a little while ago. How will Kirk Cousins be remembered by Washington fans for his days in Washington? I'll ask you that question first. How do you think, maybe it's not how will he be remembered. How should he be remembered? No, how will he be remembered is better. How will Kirk Cousins in his days in Washington be remembered?
2: Are you done? You got that, all that out of your system? I did. Okay. I tell you what, I think what. how he'll be remembered in Washington, I, I know this doesn't make sense, Depends on how successful he is in Minnesota. Okay. In other words, if he if he continues to have this reputation, whether you think it's real or not, you know, deserved or not, as a, a guy who comes up small in big moments, then that's that will be what's accentuated here in Washington. Is his his statistical uh, his statistical you know. Build up without any prowess, uh, yeah. Without, you know, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, if he is successful in Minnesota and maybe takes them to the Super Bowl, then I think his per- perspective changes, even for his time in Washington. Then hmm. I think, I think if, if if he is more successful personally, the rest of his NFL career, uh, I think then his legacy in Washington gets inflated. <laughs> uh or gets gets raised to the proper place it should be and then people when people look at the record books after he's retired and say wow this guy was good look at look at all the records he has here you know i think a lot of it still has still it still can be written his legacy in washington even though he's gone hmm.
1: um okay uh, you know it's it's interesting because i looked at this uh a couple of weeks ago because there was like some sort of uh, conversation about is is anybody does anybody actually think that Kirk Cousins is in the midst of a Hall of Fame career? I do not. Okay, I do not. I think I, I could he end up uh, could he end up changing um, that uh, feeling that I have that answer? Sure, he's thirty three or thirty four years old. It's very possible he's got another five years as, as a starting quarterback in this league, and if he has the success in the postseason. And it doesn't require winning a Super Bowl, but it requires winning lots of playoff games, you know, over the next four to five years. He is statistically more likely than not, when he's done, going to have, you know, 50,000, you know, career passing yards. You know, he'll have well over 300 touchdowns. I mean, the numbers will be eye-popping when his career is over. And they're not, you know, as... I hate to use the word lazy, but there's always been this incredibly inaccurate narrative about garbage yards. (laughs) Nobody throws for that many yards or that many touchdowns in garbage time. Um, In fact, you know, the, the truth is in many of his big seasons, it's been the opposite of that. You know, they, they, they've been in very tight games. Like Minnesota's played more one score games over the last year and a half than any team in NFL history. Um, But anyway, uh, He's got to have the, the postseason success before that would ever be um, a, a part of, of, of his conversation. But I know what you're saying. I would say this. I just think it's going to be incredibly split, incredibly polarizing. I think that people that think that he was a stat-stuffing garbage yard, um, couldn't come through in the clutch quarterback – who has six franchise records because of the era that he played in, they're never going to change that thought no matter what he does in Minnesota. And I think people like me who appreciated the fact that, you know, A, he is the ultimate pro. Every single teammate, every single coach has always said that, that there's nobody that that prepares more um, and that that is ready more than he is, that I will actually look at his years here as – what should have been the beginning of a really nice opportunity. Um, and if, if they had, you know, uh, certainly I think if, if Sean had stayed as the head coach or if the Shanahan's had stayed and Kyle had, turned, it had been, been given the head coach after Mike retired, we'd be talking about a completely different story. I think if the Shanahans had stayed on and had turned to Cousins as their starting quarterback, Washington would have been a winning franchise more likely than not over the last several years. But Sheehan, you said they can't win because of the owner. Well, that's the point, is he wasn't going to allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think here uh, he's clearly by far the best quarterback of the, of the Snyder era. Um, you know, the, the, he was incredibly productive. I think the one game that will haunt him more than any other was they had a chance to go to the postseason two years in a row, which, by the way, during the Snyder era would have been, you know, in a, really the, the greatest accomplishment. Jay Gruden would have gotten credit for that. Cousins would have gotten credit for that if they had gone to the playoffs in 2015 and 2016. And they were a, a good enough team to be a playoff team. They were certainly a good enough offense in 2016. And in that final game on January 1st, I'll never forget it. We were there. Um, you know, th- he threw the pick uh, to, uh, to what's-his-face, um, the guy that ended up playing in Washington briefly uh, uh, with the hyphenated last name. DRC, Cromartie, Rogers, Dominic Rogers, uh, Cromartie. He threw that interception with the game on the line, down thirteen to ten, with a chance to go to the postseason. And even though in that game uh, the entire team played very poorly, uh, you know, the bottom line was he couldn't elevate them against a team that was totally vanilla, playing for nothing, had already clinched a playoff berth. And that game really hurts, I think, his time here. I think if they had gone to the playoffs that year for a second straight year, um, it would have been interesting because in 2016, they were a dynamic offense. And really, that game should have never been a game to get into the postseason. Hopkins missed multiple big kicks during the course of that season. And they had the worst defense, third down defense in in the history of modern era football. Um, But other than that, Uh, I think it'll just be polarized. I think people who liked him when he was here will always understand and have a feeling that what he did was of substance and people who thought the opposite will never change their mind. I do think this, though, one Uh, one more thing. As I said about Marty Schottenheimer being the single biggest mistake in the Snyder era, in the top ten of biggest mistakes was not trading Kirk Cousins to the 49ers following the 2017 season, when the 49ers were willing to give up at minimum, at minimum, as Mike has told us, number two overall, Gruden has suggested it was multiple picks, including that number two pick uh, overall. Um, and that, you know, they, they had to know, uh, you, I'm sorry, going into the 2017 season, um, they had to know once Sean left, he wasn't staying. He didn't want to be a part of this group. Here and they never made him an offer that was bona fide enough for right. him to to say yes to, but um that's what that's what I think anyway. Anything else to add to that?
2: Here's a, here, here's a cousin stat that should speak a lot to what kind of player he is, mm-hmm. and I don't think people get give him credit for this. In six of the last seven seasons, he started and played in every single game. Yeah. In this era, where quarterbacks get get pummeled and get broken, and and are, are never finish a season, he's played in sixteen games. Six of the last, actually. 2021. He, he Tommy, he's he's never players.
1: once he started. He's never missed a game except for yes. at the end. There was a game in which they had already clinched a playoff berth and they didn't play their starters in Minnesota that, at the end of the that year. That
2: was 2019, 2019. 2019. That's the only
1: game he's yes. never started in Minnesota. Yes. And he, I and mean,
2: that's a remarkable. It that is. He's played. He's played in 132 games. Started 120. He started 132 games. No. He's played 132 games, started 127. That's a remarkable stat. And that speaks to his his, his character. That speaks and, and no one people may accuse Kirk of a lot of things, but it's not he's not the kind of guy who dumps the ball quick if he's about to get hit.
1: Oh, he's taking okay? he is he's, yeah.
2: Yeah, he's taken massive hits. Okay, no one's ever questioned that about him. So, look, I agree with you. Although I think you could argue Maybe not here, overall, but the best quarterback that that uh, that they've had in the past ten years was probably Alex Smith.
1: Oh no, I wouldn't argue that.
2: Yeah, Are you,
1: are, you, are you being serious?
2: Yeah, over the not over over the if you were to rank quarterbacks over their careers, I think most NFL oh, oh, over their Alex over Smith. their
1: careers. My fault. Okay. Um, yes.
2: uh,
1: uh, I don't know. I think, that's really, I, I, I think that's really, really close. And obviously, you know, K- Kirk's career isn't over. I mean, r- r- the, you know, the irony of bringing up Alex Smith is that, you know, c- c- people who couldn't stand Kirk called him the check down QB, you know, captain check down, when in fact that really yeah. wasn't him, but that was Alex Smith. I mean, PFF yeah. named their check down stat the Alex Smith, uh, you know, number. Yeah. Um, but... You know, Alex Smith, there were, there, were, there were years he was an excellent quarterback. There's no doubt. There were years where he was an excellent quarterback. Uh, I, I also think, by the way, some people might say, well, maybe over a period of time, yes, but the RG3 2012 is the best season. I would say it was the most exciting season, and it certainly was the most optimistic as a fan base we had ever been or we had been about the quarterback situation in a long time. But Kirk's 2016, when he threw for nearly 5,000 yards, um, with you know whatever the completion percentage was, let me let me pull it up um, because I think was was that the year that he threw
2: 67
1: percent. 67 percent. So when did he throw 70 percent in Washington? Was it
2: 2015? 2015. Yeah. Right. He threw 70 percent for 4,200 yards. Threw for 29 touchdowns.
1: Yeah. So. The yardage record, I think, that year, the average yards per game. I think the, the, uh, the passer rating number, one of those two years, he holds the franchise record. Um, whatever. 2016's the best offensive football team Washington's had since uh, – Maybe Brad uh, Johnson? Yeah, oh, since Brad Johnson's year. That's it. Since 1999. That was the best offensive year. Unfortunately, it was not a complimentary football team. They had poor special teams and very poor defense. Um, because, you know, and that's where you get into the, 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 the record being a quarterback stat. I just, I've never bought that before because they were eight, seven, and one in 2016. And with a bad defense instead of a horrific defense, it would have won 11 games that year. With a kicker, they would have won 11 or 10 games that year. So I, that, 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 that's tough, um, to, to, uh, to look at. But I do think that's one of the questions this week with him. Um, I also think, you know, I wonder if people have, uh, if if some people on some level, um, I think the people that didn't like him, they are praying. Where, what am I getting at? I'm getting at this. The polarizing feeling of fans in Washington about Kirk Cousins' time there carried over into Minnesota. Minnesota fans feel the exact same way about him. They either think he yeah. is... An incredibly underrated quarterback or massively overrated. And I do think ultimately the reason he's become a polarizing player is the contract. Because one thing we can all agree on. He excelled on on the negotiating of contract situations because <laughs> nobody, nobody created uh, what Kirk did vis-a-vis the franchise tag in Washington, leveraging it into what turned out to be the first totally guaranteed contract in the history of the game. So he has done that very well. But... Um, I think that th- that polarizing feeling, it's weird, but I think the people that don't like him are praying that he doesn't have postseason success, you know, and those of us that have always liked him, really what's left is postseason success. You know, he won a playoff game a couple of years ago in overtime, you know, driving them in the in the Superdome to beat the Saints. But they've got to win some playoff games, and he's got to be on the big stage, the big, big January stage for people to really, even those of, those of us that really like him, to really feel differently. Because I still don't consider Kirk to be an elite quarterback. I just think he's been a really good quarterback for, you know, for his career so far, which believe it or not, I mean, now, you know, I'm looking at his pro football reference page now. I mean, he's 34 years old. Jesus, do you remember the argument we got in when they drafted him after RG3?
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I still think I was right in my premise, mm-hmm. and my premise was at the time was uh, I think RG three, your number one draft pick, saw drafting another quarterback in the same class who was he probably saw as an as a, as an equal as a peer as opposed to a fifth round pick from from bum screw state or something like that. You know, people knew who Kirk Cousins was, okay? And it still, a was, four- it still was a
1: fourth-rounder.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: You know, it wasn't It wasn't. But, uh, it wasn't I, what I mean, Dallas did, you know, when they drafted Aikman and then drafted, uh, you know, um, uh, Steve Walsh. Uh, Walsh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that. But, uh, I mean, I think it helped. It, if you had a norm- even a normal quarterback, uh, it would have under, I think it would have undermined the confidence in him. Now, RG3 turned out not to be a normal quarterback. So. And it, ultimately it turned out to be the right move. Uh, the results proved right.
1: Yeah, I think my, my, my general th- thought today is what it was in 2012 when we were on the air when it happened and it sparked quite the debate between the two of us because you were outraged that they would do this. You thought it was stupid and I said, look at this league. You have to have two. You have to have two. Also, if you recall, um, I had in one of our bold prediction, you heard it here, first segments a year earlier, predicted that Kirk Cousins would get drafted by Washington. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, any more Kirk talk? I want to get to the game from Sunday, get your thoughts. And I had some additional thoughts on the game as well.
2: No, Go right ahead.
1: We'll do that. Right done after- with Kirk. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they will match your deposit uh, dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Washington now a three-and-a-half-point dog Sunday against Minnesota. I do see uh, that early on from uh, some information I got last night, the public is playing and backing Minnesota in this game. They were doing that also last week against Arizona. Uh, But Washington, a a three-and-a-half-point dog. Uh, The total on the game is 43 at my bookie. And, um, you know, I think that's some respect. You know, a 4-4 and team against a 6-1 and team. Actually, you know, the more I think about it, I don't think the line's that far off. Uh, I saw the the look ahead line a week ago before they had even beaten Green Bay, and I think it was like going to be four or four and a half. So it wasn't significantly okay. different. Uh, the last night, Cleveland was a smell test pick for me, and man, did they run Cincinnati out of the building uh, last night? Look at Cincinnati without Jamar Chase. I do think Jamar Chase is the is the best receiver in the NFL, and they missed him dearly last night. Um, smell test, Tommy, by the way, eight and four over the weekend, uh, including last night. Uh, eight and five if you include the Thursday game, which you have to do. But Good um, job. it's four winning weeks uh, or or push weeks out of the last five. The problem was the losing week was a big time losing week. Uh, Go to my bookie. Use my promo code, KevinDC. Even if you have a place where you're betting, you should have a second place. You can comparison shop on point spreads, on pricing. My bookie's got everything figured out. Seriously, the lines are tight. The pricing is great. You shouldn't be paying any more than minus 110 on a lost straight bet, whether it's a side or a total. Uh, These places that are charging you minus 125, minus 130, minus 135, Don't do that. You're way overpaying. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. So today, by the way, is the trade deadline in the NFL. Uh, I saw Schefter tweet something out earlier. The trade deadline in the NFL has really changed, you know, uh, over the last decade. If you go back to 2012, in fact, Tommy, somebody like you who you know has reported on and written about the baseball trade deadline so many times over the course of, of your career, that's always been an exciting time when it comes to a trade deadline. The NFL, nobody until a few years ago even knew, even knew that there was an NFL trade deadline. Uh, Schefter reported uh, or, or tweeted out earlier in 2012 there were two trades during deadline week. One in 2013, 3 in 2014, 1 in 2015. So literally in the it, from 2012 to 2015 There were a total of seven NFL trades over four years, and then it started to change. In 2016, there were four, and then there were seven, seven, eight, nine in 2020, five in 2021, and five already here in 2022. So the NFL trade deadline has become a bigger deal. Uh, I don't think Washington will trade anybody. I read the reports about teams being interested in Deron Payne. They're going to go for it right now. They're 4-4. and They're not trading Deron Payne, even though more likely than not, he'll probably walk at the end of the year and sign a big deal with somebody else. And there was a report on Friday about Gibson teams reaching out for Gibson. I love Gibson. More on him coming up in a second. There is a report from Jeremy Fowler. That Washington is going to release William Jackson uh, today if there's no trade partner for him. I can't imagine that there is going to be anybody interested in trading for a guy who hasn't played well, who's coming off a back injury, and still has, you know, time left on a $40 million deal that he signed in 2021. Uh, I think Washington's going to have to cut him today and, uh, and that'll be the end of the William Jackson experiment here in Washington. And there are teams out there. There are certainly some teams, some man teams, that might be uh, interested in him. But the trade deadline has become a bigger deal in football in recent years.
2: Yes, it has. Uh, uh, you had the big trade with the Ravens, right? Yesterday, getting Roquan Smith from the from the Bears. That's a huge trade for them.
1: Second and a fifth rounder. I mean, they're going to have to pay him. Understood. I don't know why Chicago wouldn't pay him. He's one of the best in the game. And all of the analytics stuff about the minimization uh, of the linebacker position just give me really, really good football players to put on any side of the ball. Roquan Smith is one of those. So, real quickly, before you get to, uh, I want to hear what your reaction was to the game on Sunday. I want to just mention that, you know, I know we went through sort of the uh, recap yesterday quickly. The the one thing that I wanted to emphasize a little bit more after very early this morning watching you know some of the uh, stuff on, from the game again, John Allen was dominant in the football game. He he's having such a good season. This is his best season. Yes. Yes, he he's is. turned into an absolute dominant defensive tackle, and I and I'm so happy about that because he truly is one of the, uh, you knock on wood, one of the normal guys, one of the mature guys, maybe as mature as anybody they've had in their locker room in a long time. And on the flip side, Terry McLaurin is the same way. And then I also wanted to mention, and I know I did this yesterday, but I think Antonio Gibson is so, so important to whether or not they're going to be fighting in weeks 16, 17, and 18 for the seven spot in the NFC playoffs. I love the fact that he got 22 snaps and Robinson Jr. got 15. By the way, McKissick got 22, that he got more touches this week. I know part of it, you know, I think Scott Turner will talk about on Thursday. They had a stout front. We didn't think we could run the ball super successfully between the tackles, and we wanted to get Antonio out in space. Antonio out in space is awesome. He's great. Antonio in between the tackles is pretty damn good, too. And let's not forget that some of his biggest games as a Washington player in these first you know, two-and-a-half seasons have been games in which he wore people down by carry number 22 or 23 in the fourth quarter. Go back and look at the two Dallas games his rookie year. Look at last year during the four-game win streak, how many touches he got in, in those games. Uh, I think Antonio Gibson... That, you know, I suggested that if they don't really love him, they should trade him because he would bring back some value. But he's the guy that, to me, is a top five player on this team, if not a top three talent on this team. Uh, but to me, he stood out even more. Um He took a pass on that field goal drive when they were down 16-7, to and the acceleration on the sideline, he he stepped out of bounds, barely stepped out of bounds. For a guy that's 6'2 in 225, that's what people don't understand about Gibson. I think sometimes you don't think he's a big, strong back. He's 6'2, 225. He may not be Derrick Henry. Okay, I don't know that anybody is. Uh, But Gibson's a big dude that can really fly. I love Antonio Gibson right now. I hope he doesn't fumble three times in the game on Sunday or once, you know, uh, like three times over the next five games because, of course, that was, you know, a big problem. All right, what did you think of the game?
2: Well, again, you know, I thought that it it was a game that they were on the way to losing until the quarterback decided to take it in his own hands and said, we're not losing this game. We're not losing this game. That's basically the way he played. We're not going to lose this game. I mean, at, at, he was 12 for 14 for 151 to- yards on the final two drives.
1: 160. 16. 160 yards. 12 160? Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, and that, that, was, that, was, that was him. Okay? I mean, people say, like, even, even the, the touchdown pass. You know, it's amazing now. You know, there are people... Who had, who had, you know, bought condos in the Carson Wentz development, who are, now, who are seeing those values drop dramatically, and they're so upset about it that they want to find anything they can wrong with the Taylor Heineke development and, and the condos that are being sold over there. So they basically, they rip the touchdown pass and saying he just threw it up there and he was lucky he didn't get, he didn't get hit. It wasn't defense.
1: a touchdown pass, the pass to McLaurin, but I know it. Okay, we all know, okay. we all know the play you're pass. talking about,
2: yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and if, you, if, you just, if you're just looking at that, you're not looking at how he moved around on that play to get open, to throw that ball in the first place. And he was all over the place, get, avoiding the rush there, and with his eyes downfield looking for a place to throw it. Okay, I mean, uh, it, it was a Taylor Heineke win. I mean, you know, uh, Terry McLaurin had a lot to do with it, but Taylor Heineke gets Terry McLaurin the ball.
1: Anything else on the Taylor Heineke no. condo complex? No, that's <laughs> okay. it. Um, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I said as much yesterday, I... I. Uh, you know, you're going to have to, to bear with me on this because I know how much you hate golf, but Cooley had the perfect analogy for Taylor Heineke yesterday for people who play golf and who gamble when playing golf. And he said, he said, Taylor Heineke's never going to shoot like a 72, like you know legitimate, you know, unbelievable round of golf. But if you need a par net birdie on 17 and 18, for, for, with, with big money on the line, that's when he's going to have a great hole or two. And there's no doubt that that's, that's who he is because the first three and a third quarters were, again, like last, not like last week's first half. Last week's first half was losing football, and they, they got lucky that they were somehow in the game after he threw the ball to the other team five times and coughed up a fumble with a ticky-tack call, which, by the way, is being called this year, and had it returned for, for a touchdown. You know, those kinds of throws and those kinds of plays, more often than not, are going to lose you games. But he bounced right back off of it and had an incredible second half. The, the first three and, and a third quarters on Sunday weren't very impressive. And when he threw that pick, just like last week at halftime, <laughs> it was all about, can, can we put Sam Howell in? And yet, what, the thing that I've loved about him from the beginning, I don't love him as the quarterback of the future, as a starting quarterback in the NFL, okay? My mind has not changed on that. Okay, people, all right, there's nuance to this. I, what I've said right from the jump is what I love about him is he is a guy that has a short memory, He's a badass baller, competitor, gamer. As I said yesterday, using an old person's term, he's got moxie. Uh, He's had that since the beginning. And it's almost as if when he makes a big error, it's like, yeah, really? You guys want Sam Howell? Well, wait until you see this. And he was incredible on those final two drives. In fact, I would say that those two drives down two scores were really for him probably his moment – so far in Washington, the most impressive moment. He's had a couple of them. Like, people uh, tried to act – but when I, when I referred to him on Twitter on Sunday as creating magic over those final two drives, I mean, there were so many people that just – and they're the people – I don't think they're the get on board or get out Carson Wentz people because, God, I got that all off season. Really, Sheehan? You don't like the trade? Get on board or get the fuck out. Go Move to Minnesota. <laughs> Um, I just think it's people who, you know, whether it was Car- whether they liked Carson Wentz or not, don't believe in Heineke as the long-term answer. I don't either. But it doesn't mean that he didn't create magic on those final two drives. He did. And for a-, a lot of the people that reached out and said, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? I mean, he threw the ball, like you said. He threw the ball straight up into the air and Terry McCormick. No, 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 no. The fourth and one on the final drive, is vintage Heineke. Uh, Vintage Heineke. He totally keeps the game alive on a play where Wentz and a lot of quarterbacks would have been sacked game over. And the way he escaped was brilliant with quick feet, with vision, and then doesn't panic. And try to run for it, and he throws to Curtis Samuel for the first down. That's the play of the game, Tommy. There's no other play. No, none of the other plays happen if he doesn't convert on that fourth down. Just like on the previous drive on fourth and six, he, he may yeah. have made one of his best throws of the day to Curtis Samuel. But um, I think you know this isn't the first time he's done this. He did it last week on third and nine. To ice the game against the Packers, you know he did it. You know last year uh, in that final drive against the Bucks, they were up three, but he made some big plays. He did it against the Giants on Thursday Night Football. So there is an element of Taylor Heineke that you just have to acknowledge. You know you can say whatever you want about what you think of him as an overall quarterback, but you have to acknowledge that he does not get rattled. In the big spots. In fact, he seems to be at his best in the big spots and the important spots. And there's something um, incredibly endearing about that, especially when you consider him to be a massively overachieving guy, like a massive underdog guy. It's not that he went out there and didn't shit himself for four quarters and oh wow you know he's not very good but look he was 20 of 29 and had a touchdown and you know they hung in there and they'll no 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 in in with the game on the line in the fourth quarter down two scores with no sign of life at any point during the football game really yeah he yeah. strapped the You're team right. to his back and made play after play after play now the throw to McLaurin, It's probably not the best decision, but I didn't have a problem with it because I said yesterday to Cooley, look, they're at the 34-yard line. They need a touchdown, not a field goal. Yeah, there's more time in the game, and they've got two timeouts, and maybe you don't take that shot. One-on-one coverage against a really good corner, where it's probably fifty-fifty. Cooley, you know, after doing watching the film, said that's a fifty percent interception ball, fifty percent Terry comes down with yes. it. I think there's some percentage in there for an incompletion because you know if they fight each other and it goes to the ground. Logan Paulson this morning uh, on radio uh, said essentially the same thing. It was not a good decision at all. But if I'm going to take that 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 risk which he likes to do, you're not going to coach that risk-taking part out of him, then you do it with McLaurin. You do it with Terry yes. and, and, and off-schedule, man-to-man. Now, he his arm strength and hurt McLaurin, him on that one. Yeah.
2: McLaurin knows that. Yeah. McLaurin knows that. Right. Okay? But look, I, I, I think he's better than the guy we're going to talk about, even though the guy we're going to talk about took a team to a Super Bowl. And you could argue he's saying guy, right, but he's got a lot of Rex Grossman in him. You know, yeah. he's got a lot of Rex in him. Yes, uh, receivers loved Rex
1: oh my Grossman.
2: God. They loved His him. His
1: teammates loved him.
2: Yes, <laughs> and, and 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 everything you said about him in terms of of what he does. This is what coaches. This is this. Is, if you would let a coach speak about the kind of football player they love. It's Taylor Heineke. Yeah, I mean, this is the ideal player for a coach. This is why I wrote; it makes more sense than ever in my column that Ron Rivera was not the guy who wanted Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. He may have went along with it, but I mean, Carson Wentz is, is, in a way, is the opposite of everything Taylor Heineke is, except for including the big arm. He has one. Taylor Heineke doesn't.
0: I think the big, but, uh, I think
1: the biggest thing in watching Carson Wentz this year, just just to be fair, um, I didn't I didn't like the trade. I didn't want necessarily that, but they had to make a move. I mean, remember this was a strange off season with the the, the new branding and everything else. It wasn't a normal off season. Not that any of their off seasons are ever normal. I think what was uh, the, the biggest surprise to be me about Carson Wentz. This year, in watching him, was his incredible diminished mobility. You know, the injuries over the years has have essentially made him a much less mobile quarterback than he was when he played at a high level. That was a big part. A big part of his game was escapability and playing off schedule. Early in
2: Philadelphia, yeah, he was unbelievable at
1: it. And so that that was so diminished
2: last year. You know he was what, not though, that guy.
1: You know what, though, Tommy. He was more of that guy last year in Indianapolis. He had some big plays off schedule, some big runs off schedule. I mean, I'm pulling up his numbers right uh, right now because I am interested to see what his rushing numbers were. I know I've looked these up before, um, but you know, he played some. Uh, hold on for a second. Last year. So last year in Indy, you know, he had 215 rushing yards on the season. Okay, just as a comparison, his twenty no, his 2017 season was shortened. His rookie year was 150 yards. Uh, the other years he played all 16 games, or, or and there's only one other season other than his rookie season, was 2019. He's 243 yards. He only had 79 yards rushing at this point through six games. So it was going to be less, but it wasn't even the rushing yards. Rushing yards isn't the way to judge it. It is whether or not he's actually has the ability to escape and create. And he didn't. And then what made it worse is that he's a guy that feels the pressure. And you saw that. And they had a terrible offensive line in front of him. So does Taylor. He's got it too. But he can make it, you know, less important because he's so good at escaping and Wentz wasn't. Bottom line is that fourth and one On the final drive, there's no chance that the game doesn't end right there. Uh, The game ends right there with Carson Wentz at quarterback, and they lose 16 to 10 or 19 to 10. They would have kicked a field goal, maybe. Um, and, And the play that Taylor Heineke made was great. But. Um, I still do not think that they have their long-term quarterback. I don't think you're going to ever contend for anything big. And I do think, you know, he's started two games. We've got games coming in which the calls for Sam Howell are going to, you know, be during the game and after the game as well. We've had him during the game in his first two starts, and then it's gotten really quiet. At the end of the game or late in the game, uh, but I think some of those games are coming. But I'll tell you this, Tommy: I don't think it's this week. I, I've watched Minnesota a little bit this year. They're not very—they're not that good on defense. I, in fact, it'll be the easiest defensive team he's faced. Green Bay's better defensively, and Indy's better uh, defensively than Minnesota. So I think there's a chance he could have a decent game Sunday against the Vikings. I'm talking about a decent start to finish.
2: What's what's a decent game? I mean, how many points can can he put up?
1: Well, hopefully more than than seven in three and a third quarters, you know, because that was really, really uh, awful. You know, Logan Paulson made the case this morning. He said, I thought it was a very conservative ball control game plan. I'd like to see them open it up a little bit more. And I said, I agree with you, but I'm not so sure – that I want to see him open it up a lot more. And I understand that he really excelled when they got down two scores and they essentially went into their two-minute you know, dropping him back, Uh, but he made a lot of plays off schedule. I don't know if he can do that a whole game without making enough mistakes to really cost you. I think the formula for him at quarterback is the one they had during their four-game win streak last year, the one that they had against Green Bay last week, Um, the one that they actually employed for three quarters. The problem was – they didn't really get any results with it this week. Uh, but I liked some of the check down throws. I liked some of the run extension throws to to Gibson. I liked some of the stuff that Turner dialed up for Curtis Samuel. I don't think that, that that Scott Turner called a horrible game. He called a conservative game, yes. And if you think that's bad, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I think the ball control formula thing is the right thing for him. I don't think you can just let him play the way he did at the uh, you know at the end of the game. I mean he was he was but, awesome but at the end have, of the game.
2: They have the kind but, of offense that can control the ball.
1: Uh yeah, uh, yeah they do. They do. They should. They didn't Sunday yes. because they didn't make third they should, downs. Though. They were 2 for 12 on third right. down. Got to be a lot better on but third have down have to control the ball. They have
2: offensive weapons and they have en- enough good runners that they can control, that they can run a ball-control offense.
1: Yes, and I think, Turner, you know, the goal should be use the quarterback to get the ball into the playmaker's hands. And then if you need the quarterback to make plays, then go to that. But understand that when you ask him to make plays, we've seen this, and we saw it the other day, too. You know, there was almost the interception at the end of the first half when they were in there. You know, when they, I thought they were too conservative and not urgent enough. But there was almost a, a bad pick at the end of the first half, and then he had the pick to Leonard. By the way, I want to, I want to just mention this: quarterbacks throw interceptions. Okay, they throw interceptions. It's not the end all, be all. You know, sometimes quarterbacks that take the, a lot of risks that turn out to create a lot of reward especially if they've got really nice condos with nice bathrooms and kitchens. Um, you know, they, they get more reward than they do failure. But quarterbacks throw picks. It's a, I think it, for whatever reason in the last few years, it's like, oh, I mean, a guy threw two picks today. yeah Well, okay, well, how many yards did he throw for? How many touchdowns did he throw for? Did he give his team a chance to win the game? There are plays, though, that, well, you know, you can't make. You can't make them over and over again, clearly. Um, but – no, I right now, I thought that that was really, really a compelling watch over those final two drives. I I didn't think it was going to happen when they got into that fourth down and uh, and six on that first drive. I, I thought that he just had not looked comfortable from the pocket throwing the ball. I'm talking about the first one on the field goal when they were down 16-7. They had a fourth and six, and that turned out to be the biggest throw he made in the game till that point because the game would have ended there for all intents and purposes if they didn't convert that cuz Indy would have had the ball in Washington territory up 16 to 7 and then the fourth and one off-schedule play that he made uh on the on the final drive was really good so anyway so where do you think this 4 and 4 is headed
2: oh i think right where we thought it would be eight wins maybe over the course of a season. Okay. I think they'll, they'll wind up being, you know, they've got enough talent to be that good, but not enough talent to break break beyond that. Uh, so I just think, you know, they're going to wind up. They'll, they'll have some moments. Uh, there'll be some bad moments. There'll be some good moments. And you won't be any closer to the goal of being long-term, consistent winner than you have been from the day that Ron Rivera got hired. I,
1: I I agree with that, but I think the big difference between last year and this year is defense. I think their defense, they've got some really good players and, on and defense.
2: You're, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose one of those key players this offseason. You are It's like just like losing Brandon Sheriff has hurt them on the offensive line. Losing Deron Payne will hurt them on defense.
1: Uh, it will, but that's why they drafted Phil Mathis, and they were pretty high on Phil before he got hurt in the opener. So, so we'll see. But I, um, I think that John Allen and Deron Payne and Montez Sweat and Chase Young is going to start practicing tomorrow. We haven't mentioned that today. That was, you know, uh, revealed by the the head coach yesterday. Um, the two safeties McCain, uh, I mean, Forrest and Curl in particular are playing really good football. I actually thought Bobby McCain had a decent game on Sunday as well. Um, sorry, Pauly. Uh, I think Jamin Davis has improved significantly. They need Cole Holcomb back, you know, but I think that defensively, uh, they're not, Last year was a disaster defensively. So, you know, even after that four game win streak, you know, we sat here and we said, is, you know, good team or are they just playing well? I, my biggest concern was that the defense would let him down in a major way. Uh, I think Sunday's a really interesting game for them because if they somehow are able to pull off a win over Minnesota, and I think it's doable, I really do think Sunday's doable. I think that, you know, uh, the, the Minnesota defense isn't that great. I think Minnesota's interior along their offensive line has been a problem. They have a smallish center in Garrett Bradbury. He's had some issues. He's playing better this year, but they've had issues with the interior of their offensive line going back a couple of years now. And Washington is wrecking some offensive lines here. You have a stationary quarterback, not a mobile quarterback. By the way, the other observation from Sunday and looking at the game, I thought Sam Ellinger actually played really well. I thought he threw the ball very well. Um, the, uh, you've got a quarterback that's more stationary. You have an elite wide receiver. Okay. Justin Jefferson's top three, top four in the league, but Adam Thielen is a little bit sort of past his prime. Uh, Washington's been really good at stopping the run. If they can stop the run on Sunday, if they can stop Dalvin Cook, uh, on Sunday, I think they've got a really good chance to win. And if they do, Tommy, the eight-win thing that I agree with you on, I think we then bump that up a game and say now at, six, at five and four, I would actually be disappointed if they don't win nine because they have the Texans. On the road. That should be a sixth win. Uh, They have the Giants twice. I think they can get one of those for a seventh win. They have the Falcons at home. That would be a critical game at that point. Um, They have, they finish with the Browns and Cowboys at home. And the Cowboys, who knows? They might not even be playing for anything at that point. So I think then a nine win season and the seven seed is more in play than I thought a year ago when they were on a four-game win, winning streak at 6-6, six and six. and it will be because of their defense, because they're a, they're a, a better, round, more well-rounded team. But I think Sunday's the key, because if they don't beat Minnesota, they're probably going to lose at Philly, and then the momentum created by three wins over three very limited teams looks like it was kind of fake. You know, if you're four and six after losing to Minnesota and Philly,
2: okay. let's, let, let's say the scenario happens that you that you uh, think is control. possible
1: beating Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I think it, I think it's possible. Uh, you, you said doable. I don't think this is a winnable game, though. Is it?
1: Yeah, yes, it is. It's a winnable game. No, it's not
2: a winnable game. It's a doable game. A winnable game sort the ones they just plays. The difference. No. A winnable game is one where you expect them to win.
1: I don't a see a difference game between is
2: one where they could have a chance to win.
1: No, I, I don't see a difference between winnable and doable. I see a difference between winnable and should. Like, oh, this is a should win game. The, the, that some people thought that the Colts game on Sunday was a should win game. I don't think they'll have one should win game on their schedule. Okay, they're not a should win team, uh, but. Well, I, I think
2: it's a doable game. I don't know if it's well, a winnable well, well, game. Well, in, in,
1: in, give me give me the distinction in, between doable and winnable
2: in your mind again. A winnable game is the, the game you expect to win. Well, I, a doable game is the game you have a chance to win.
1: I disagree. That's the way I see it. Okay. okay. I th- I think so I sh- let's say
2: your scenario yeah. let's let's say your scenario unfolds. Yes. And they get to nine wins and a seven seed. Yeah. They're still no closer to where they want to be.
1: Well, I don't know we we're, we're, still
2: don't have a quarterback? That
1: depends on where they want to be. still don't have a quarterback? That depends on where they want to be. What, what, what's for this franchise? What's a where they want to be? What 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 is that end game? Because it's not a being Multiple, a, a sustained double. Super Bowl contender year in and year out. That's not possible no. for this franchise.
2: Uh, okay. Uh, well, I think, I think you can't give them an asterisk. You can't grade them on a curve because they're idiots.
1: Well, you can. It would be an well, overachieving season. No
2: of, I mean, where they need to be is multiple double-digit season wins. They're no closer to that, but they don't have a quarterback.
1: No, they're not to
2: get them there.
1: No, they're not. If and, that's if that's what yeah. you're if that if, if that's what they're trying to achieve, no, they're not. They're no closer yeah. to that.
2: You know the the thing and the coach going into his fourth year right here at that point i'll
1: tell you one thing the coach won't be going anywhere yeah no. i mean unless he wants to
2: but Co- that's not the way you thought said, you thought you thought that they, that they would negotiate a settlement for him to leave
1: i said if they lose to the, uh, tennessee and chicago and they're 1 and 5 okay then okay, i think yeah. what we're looking at is we're looking at you know a disastrous season and we're looking at a mutual, you know, sort of let's move on and move well, that, our separate ways. Well, that
2: did happen. You're right. That, that did that happen. happen. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, you know, the, I mean, this is what we have to do, right? We have to suspend reality. Can we just do that for another minute or two? Because I think we've been doing yeah. a suspend reality segment here. We we, we 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 like the suspending of reality description. But we don't use it a lot. But let's use it right now. Let's suspend reality. So this team, because of its head coach more than anything else, has a group of players in that locker room that are different from the players that they've had in previous years. That is Ron Rivera's contribution as much as anything else. I know some of you are rolling your eyes right now and saying, He's about to cut William Jackson today. They made a big mistake. It's not about that. It's about the Terry. By the way, it's about the Terry McLaurins and John Allen's two players he didn't acquire. But the point is, is that other players, the Derek Forrests, the Cameron Curls, there are players on this roster and this locker room is different than it used to be. There are higher quality people, they'll tell you throughout the organization, in the locker room than there used to be. I'm not saying that they're a good football team. I'm not. But the reason Ron Rivera over the course of his career has never, ever lost a team, has never in his... You know, going back to 2011, which was his first year of coaching, has never had a team totally implode and quit on him. And, in fact, when his teams have started poorly, they've ended up playing their best football later in the year is because I think he is good at finding the kind of character in players that you have to have to overcome the really bad times. And I know not all those players were his and weren't acquired by him, but they are here, and I think that that is what he does well. I think he, his leadership, um, is probably his greatest strength with that kind of audience—the young, you know, male football player. I'm not saying he couldn't do it for a women's sport, whatever. I'm just saying I think this is his greatest strength, and and there's a toughness to his teams over the years. Uh, that uh, you know has been consistent. Do you have any thoughts to that comment or comments?
2: Uh, well, you know, you kind of like take the legs out from under it when the two biggest leaders in the room are not players that he picked. <laughs> the,
1: the best players on the team are players that he didn't pick. You know, right. no doubt about so, it.
2: So that takes a little bit of legs out of your. I think it's possible. I think you, I think you may be right.
1: How about Taylor Heineke? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. How you're about
1: right. how about a guy like Logan Thomas? How about a guy like Charles Leno? How about you know okay, a, a yeah. Curtis? Sam- like there okay, are. We're, I mean, there were knuckleheads on this team for a long time.
2: Blo- these are not foundation building blocks you're talking about here.
1: Deshaun Jack Jackson's not pulling down the pants of the head coach, and or whatever he did. <laughs> what did what did he know? He um, pinching Jay Gruden's Gabriel, nipple.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine anyone doing that to Ron Rivera.
1: <laughs> I can't imagine it either. <laughs> yeah, look at me. I am sitting here right now, talking myself into a nine and eight season.
2: Well, I think it's possible if they beat the Vikings. You think you got to look at this team uh, differently as opposed to playing the the little sisters of the poor for the last three weeks.
1: I'm talking myself into Ron Rivera's first winning season since 2017. I'm talking myself into this team in the NFC this year could be the seven seed playing. By the way, like the two seed, which might be somebody like the Minnesota Vikings in the first round of the playoffs. Now that game would be in Minnesota. I don't think it'll happen, but I think it could happen. I think they. I think they. I mean,
2: look. If if you really didn't care and looked at this team objectively, you would operate under the premise that they will screw up. Yeah, they
1: will. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even believe, I believe in the quarterback's moxie and all of that, but I don't believe that he can, you know, he can win at, at four and four. He's got to win five of the last, you know, uh, nine games. He's got to go five and four the rest of the way to go nine and eight as a starter. And by the way, he ain't coming out. I, I, that's the one thing that I. I he's going to have to really shit the bed, which is possible. The next few weeks for Carson Wentz to come back into the lineup.
2: Yes, exactly. But it could happen. You want to talk about a locker room that, that you want to talk about a locker room atmosphere? Try that. <laughs> but let me just say, try putting Carson Wentz back in there if Taylor Heinecke plays OK. It it's is OK. It is doable. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a winnable situation.
1: All right. I don't know what I'm doing here. That's enough. Let's uh, finish it up with whatever you want to talk about, including the World Series, uh, which got postponed last night. We'll get uh, to that more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Tommy, are you going to catch uh, the World Series now? It would be game five Thursday night after your class at Shelley's. Probably. It's That's
2: where I usually go. Big Shelly's back room right after teaching my class on 1331 F Street Northwest. Let me just say something right now today, uh, and I think tomorrow it's going to be the same way. This is an oh-my-God day outside. I mean, this is a glorious day outside right now. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be the same way tomorrow. And on a day like this, where I'd want to be is sitting outside at the great outdoor seating area that they have at Shelly's, right there on F Street, smoking my stogie, eating a great lunch from the great menu that they have there, and watching the world go by.
3: (laughs) And watching
2: people walk by and say, boy, I wish I was that guy, sitting outside outside Smoking a cigar, drinking a, uh, drinking a Stella, you know, and eating uh, a great burger. You know, that's where you want to be today. That's where you want to be tomorrow.
1: God, isn't it though? be it, outside it,
2: that, at Shelly's.
1: Oh, my God. A beautiful fall day. You know, a cold beer, a burger at a really good place. Honestly, why haven't we done that together recently? When are we going to do that? We were going to get together. You, Liz, Kara, and I were going to get together. And you did say, you did give me a heads up. It was like the night before that you were going to be in Bethesda for a weekend when we weren't around that weekend. So I do give you – you gave me short notice, but you did – you didn't forget. But when are we going to do that? Because today would be the perfect day, sitting outside somewhere like Shelley's.
2: Well, let me tell you what. For the next five, six, seven – the next seven days – they're all eight days, they're all gonna be like that. I
1: know it's gorgeous for I mean, gorgeous full.
2: It's really just amazing days. Trust me, one of these great days, you wanna get down the Shelley's, sit outside and let the world be jealous of you as these people walk by with their briefcases <laughs> and their and, and, and go into their, their miserable jobs and their miserable existence and you're you're sitting there like, you know, Like, you've got the world by by the you-know-whats right there at Shelly's. Shelly's back room. It's where I'd be today right now. It's where I'm going to be tomorrow night uh, watching the World Is your favorite
1: part of that watching the guys in their suits with briefcases walk by going to real jobs? (laughs) I think it is. I think that the, the burger and the beer and the cigar, it's great, but you as you're sitting there smoking on a cigar, you kick it back a little bit harder and more assertively when the, when the bunch of guys are hurrying back to their offices.
2: Well, you got to admit, look, for <laughs> what I do for a living, yeah. I've lived my life like that most of my life. Exactly. And, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and scoffed at those that haven't lived your life, like you've been the lucky no. one. Uh, you have been lucky, and you're always lucky if you end up at Shelley's Phenomenal spot in town, too. Um, go uh, to 13th and F and go to Shelley's back room. Okay. Uh, college football playoff rankings come out tonight. Let me just mention this. I think there's like an outside chance that Maryland could eke in at number 25. Now I've looked at a bunch of the projected top twenty five you know first college football playoff rankings and I've only seen Maryland in like one of them but there's like a chance they're almost ranked right now God if they had beaten Purdue they would have easily been ranked um they've you know, never that's,
2: that's 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 gonna be the game that you look back on as the difference to what could have been a really magical season for them if they yeah. beat purdue
1: if they and they yeah. got and they got kind of hosed in that game. I'm not going to go on. I did that already. But th- if they were sitting there at 7-1 and one right now with, you know, a game in, in Madison this weekend against Wisconsin, they'd be, you know, I, I, they'd be ranked right now. They'd probably be somewhere like 19th, you know, 18th, 19th, 20th in the country. And they'd be coming in somewhere uh, in the rankings on that. But um, for you Virginia people that like Liberty University, that they, they might be in the top 25 tonight. They're in the top 25 in both polls right now. They're 8-1 and one or 7-1, whatever it is. But I do think, real quickly, uh, and Stanford Steve is going to be on the show tomorrow. Cooley will be on as well, but I think I'm going to have Stanford Steve on to talk about the results tonight. Uh I think Tennessee deserves to be the number 1 team tonight. It might be Georgia. Tommy, you're not, you know, you're not a massive college football fan, but this weekend you've got a number 1 versus number 2 matchup. I don't know if you knew that. Georgia and Tennessee. You don't get that every year in college sports. Uh, but Georgia Tennessee's number 1 versus number 2 on Saturday in Athens. Georgia might be number one, but Tennessee's got by far and away the most impressive resume with wins over LSU, blowout wins over LSU in Kentucky, and the signature win of the season, their win over uh, Alabama, 52-49 to 49 in Knoxville a few weeks ago. Uh, but after that, I don't know. Ohio State's probably three. I'd put Michigan four. I'd put TCU ahead of Clemson. Clemson, to me, doesn't pass the eye test. Uh, TCU does to a certain extent, but I, I think they've got so many tough games left, I don't think they'll end up going undefeated, and they have to. But uh, a hell of a college football Saturday coming up. My God. Tennessee, um, well, Maryland and Wisconsin at 12 for Terp fans. And then Tennessee, Georgia, one versus two at 3.30. And then at night, Alabama and LSU. Uh, I You know, the World Series, Tommy, because of the rain out last night, first of all, you've got a, 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 the first situation is on Thursday night which will be game five in Philadelphia, at the same time that the Eagles are playing in Houston against the Texans on Thursday night football. Trying to remain undefeated. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean,
2: in a way, it's cool. In a way, it's certainly not good for baseball to go head-to-head with the NFL. They're saving graces. The NFL Thursday night game is not on network TV. It's on Prime.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, so... It, well, that's a good point in terms of like who will watch more. I'm I'm actually more interested like in the um, in in Philadelphia. You got a team that is is undefeated. You know, probably, but they're gonna they're gonna watch the Phillies, right? It's the World Series. Do you know that New York had this issue? It just I'm just reminded reminded of it. the the '86 series, the Bill Buckner series uh, between the Mets and the Red Sox. Game seven got rained out on Sunday night, and they played it on Monday night in Queens, game seven, Mets, Red Sox, and the Giants and the Redskins were playing on Monday night football in a big game, a big Monday night game between the Giants and the Redskins. Those things were going on simultaneously for New Yorkers. Giants, Redskins, and Mets in Game 7. I think the Mets did better uh, television rating-wise. And by the way, the Giants won their Game 2 against the Redskins that night. That was a Doug Williams – not not a Doug Williams, a Jay Schrader uh, quarterbacked uh, team uh, for Washington. Okay. Uh, What else you got today?
2: Well, mentioned in the World Series, one thing that bothers me that a lot of fans have adopted, and and media as the narrative – is that the Phillies are some kind of underdog. You know, only in only in record are they an underdog.
1: Well in odds the they're Phillies,
2: an underdog. Okay, but let me just point out Philadelphia was the fourth highest payroll in baseball this year. Okay. Two hundred forty two million. The Astros were eighth at one hundred and eighty two million. So the Phillies spent more than the Astros and the Phillies are not a small market team. Philadelphia is the fourth ranked market right now television market in in america while houston is ranked eighth so in terms of actual size power and spending the astros are the underdog not not the phillies is
1: this a column
2: no okay no it's not not enough for a column there it's a moment you know people should have to pay for the moments in addition to the columns by the way
1: (laughs) um Yeah, I just, I mean, the odds makers don't care about payroll. They don't care about television market size. I mean, even even after splitting the first two, the Astros are still minus 180 at my bookie.
2: Like David versus Goliath kind of thing. No, this is not the Royals, okay? This this, this is the Phillies. Right. Fourth highest payroll in baseball.
1: I'm I'm glad the game got rained out last night cuz I was going to be in between football and basketball the whole night cuz I did have uh, Cleveland for uh some coin. Um but uh but I'm I'm rooting for the Phillies. I'm rooting for that big uh, underdog tonight. <laughs> rooting for the underdog team the Phillies. Uh, uh I'll I'll tell you one I'm thing. I'm glad it
2: got rained out. I'm glad it got rained out too because I was not at the game. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have watched. I would have missed the beginning of the game cuz I went to see a silent movie last night at the Weinberg Center on Halloween night.
1: Okay, what silent movie?
2: The uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the 1920 German silent movie about an insane hypnotist who uses a sleepwalker to commit murders. Uh-huh. Look at the attraction is there's like this hundred year old Wurlitzer organ that comes. Up out of the stage, and a guy oh, played you, you, it.
1: You told me about this once. Yes.
2: Yeah. yes, I've been to other other ones for the entire movie. It's the whole. He plays the whole score, and it's so old school and so cool. It's the organ that really makes the show. Okay, now it was a, it was an important silent movie at the time because of of sets, and I mean they were barely making movies in 1920 for crying out loud. We were seven years away from talkies by then uh but uh so i'm glad that the rain, the game got canceled so i get to see the whole thing tonight
1: wow uh that's
2: and by the way i have something else too what how about those wizards? huh uh,
1: i had them to mention them i i i flipped it from the football game to the Wizards game when they were down one, and then I flipped it back two minutes later, and they were down 17. And I'm like, how did that happen? And Joel Embiid wasn't playing. That's a game you got to win. He
2: didn't didn't play. But you know what? I noticed, and I I didn't pay attention to the whole thing, just snippets that I caught on social media. I saw that the post-game analysis on NBC Sports Washington said there was a silver lining to last night's game. (laughs) <laughs> now, I don't what I don't particularly it? know what that was.
1: What was it? And
2: the the game before that, I noticed that the post-game TV analysis on NBC Sports Washington was that they lost but they held their heads up high.
1: By the way, there is some it's, well th- that's interesting analysis. Good job. Um keep, keep West Jr. I'm not done yet. keep their keep their heads I, up. Oh, but there's some breaking news I'm not I want uh, Okay, go ahead.
2: Go okay. Ahead. Go, go, go ahead. No, no, breaking no, no!
1: They'll have to point. wait for the breaking news. Finish.
2: I was just going to point out that Transparent Ted's TV network takeover is in midseason form. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about the, I don't know anything about the um, NBC Sports Washington uh, monumental sports. You know what they. Are told or not told with respect to their you know what they well, i do you do Yeah. Are, are they a true like partner like no 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 you're you're a partner of ours let's make sure we're on the same page here
2: I know there's one thing that they cannot talk about what i don't I can't say that i' I'm, I'm sworn the secrecy
1: wait for, if, as a wizard's for for the wizards or not uh for anything. Will you? I now you've got me very intrigued. I don't think I know that.
2: Uh, What's the breaking news?
1: The Nets fired Steve Nash. <laughs> um, there's also a, a did big. He,
2: did he? Did he post an anti-Semitic uh, thing on Twitter too? I, I
1: don't think he did. I, I'll tell you what, man. I mean the 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 I I, I want to hear the analysis on this from the people that really do cover the league, like Wojo and uh, Wojnarowski and and some others, but. I think that this is one of the biggest disasters in sports, the Brooklyn Nets. And without even getting into the tweet, which, by the way, he did take down, I mean, he's such a, yes. he, he's the ultimate fake smart guy. You know, he actually thinks there's like an intellectual bone in his body and he loves to sort of tweet things and, you know, give headlines. Um, but I saw that back and forth with the reporter the other day. People like him never, ever want to have an actual conversation because he doesn't have any information to back up what he thinks he's a dope of the highest order and by the way i'm not really speaking of innate or you know uh, intelligence i'm just talking about overall knowledge i i i would cut kyrie irving so quickly i would not want him anywhere near my building uh if i were running an nba team I do love Kevin Durant and there's a badass nature to him, but what he did in the off season was Bush league too, but they're getting their way. It looks like, you know, Durant wanted the GM and Nash gone. And I, I don't know what the, I'm not following the day to day of Brooklyn right now. So I'll admit that there could be reasons for this that I'm not considering. And I, I, I want, I'm interested in the conversation about this, but Uh, Brooklyn is, you know, off to a two and five start and Kyrie Irving is a loser. Okay. He won the title with LeBron and has been a loser ever since. He is the biggest distraction wherever he goes. And he is brilliant as a basketball player. And it's so much fun to watch him, but it's hard now for me to watch him because I understand that they will never, ever win because of this dude. He is selfish and so many other things. Uh, But anyway, the the other uh, news is we were talking about Washington's upcoming opponent, the Minnesota Vikings. We were talking about the trade deadline. I told you that... You know, they've got a uh, diminished wide receiver in Adam Thielen, I think, even though Justin Jefferson's great. And what I didn't say to you is, but I I said it this morning with Denton, don't be surprised if Minnesota makes a big move at a wide receiver, like an OBJ or Elijah Moore or somebody like that, Claypool, et cetera. They didn't do that, but they did trade, uh, I mean, a boatload. They traded a second-rounder and a third-rounder for – Detroit tight end T.J. Hawkinson. Now, they've had Irv Smith on that team, um, but really Irv, Irv Smith has dropped some big balls this year. Hawkinson in Detroit was a was the number seven overall pick, something like that. T- he was a top ten pick a few years ago. Um, they're getting uh, Hawkinson and a, and a fourth rounder back. Um, so I don't know if he'll be ready to play Sunday. I think he's a pretty good player, um, Hawkinson, uh, but – they, 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 are, they have a great player in Jefferson, but they weren't necessarily great you know, across the board in their playmaking ability. I mean, Cook is really good. Cook's a really good back. But Thielen, I think, is diminished, and I think their tight ends were struggling this year. So Washington will face T.J. Hawkinson for the second time this year on Sunday. If you're wondering what he did the first time, he had three catches for 26 yards in that 36-27 win over Washington in Week 2. That's Detroit's only win of the season over Washington in Week 2. Carson Wentz, though, was quarterbacking. If Taylor had quarterbacked that game, Washington would be 5-3 and three right now. What That's else you right.
2: got? I got nothing else for you, boss. Me
1: neither. Uh, back tomorrow, uh, Cooley should be on the show. He's flying back to Wyoming right now. Um, with some film breakdown and Stanford Steve will be on as well.